teacher, any preacher, any church with a steeple and a cross, if it's not pointing to Jesus, it runs the risk of being a thief and a robber. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. By being a part of this fold, you'll be saved and you'll go in and out and find pasture. In the midst of this life, in the midst of all the realities and the difficulties and the hardships, turmoil and the struggle and the real wolves and the, the real thieves, that in the midst of all that, he will lead you to places to find posture. In the hardest places, as I said earlier, he will show you where to find joy. This is Sozo Church. I believe that Jesus absolutely, fundamentally, unequivocally, must be the object of our deepest affection and our highest joy. Um, if anything else attempts to be a part of that or attempts to, 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 to sneak into that, I think that what we're doing ultimately loses value exponentially. As individuals and as a people, Jesus absolutely must be the object of our deepest affection and our highest joy. If, if, if anything else, if you attempt to give anything else the depths of your affection, we talk about this a lot as a church, it destroys both you and that thing. Nothing else. The Bible says in, in Revelation that, that no one else is able to receive our worship. Using here, bear with me, using worship, affection, uh, interchangeably here, our, our affection, our worship, our adoration, our, our exaltation. If you, if you try to pour out the totality of the worship that's within you upon anything else, it destroys not only you, but also the object to which you pour it out upon. If you don't believe me, just flip on TV and look at any celebrity's life. It, us worshiping them actually destroys their life. It only happens quicker when they find stardom at a young age. He must be that. He also, at the same time, we need to understand, must be the object of our greatest, or I would say highest, joy and enjoyment. If you, if you try to, to, to satisfy the craving that he put in you for joy, can I just stop, pause for a second, somebody needs to hear this. Joy is a Christian, is a biblical, is a Jesus-centered emotion. It's not a bad emotion. Some of you were raised in churches that think that if you're happy, you must be sinning. The only place to find joy is in sin. And, and when you get baptized, it's supposed to be in lemon juice, and you're supposed to look like it. I remember when coming to faith and, and finding the place in church, I was a musician at the time, and, and, and I remember kind of going to the pastor saying, I, I think I, you know, I have this heart to serve, so where do you need me to serve? And he said, well, I hear you're a guitar player, would you like to play guitar in the worship team? I said, well, yeah, but that's not serving because I like that. Anybody? Come on. Anybody have that? Like, if, it, if, you, if you have fun, it doesn't count. That is not biblical. That's not Jesus. In fact, Jesus desires and ought to be, and I'm going to say this morning, must be the place where you find your highest joy. 
The world's going to try to come in and it's going to try to defile that affection and joy. It's going to try to delete that affection and joy. Come on, it's going to try to distract you from that affection and that joy. And we must not allow that to happen. Can I get an amen from these three people in the church? But we, we have to keep Jesus there. Always. And, and if nothing else, I believe that, that seasons like the one that we're about to go into of fasting help us recalibrate our affection and our enjoyments. I'm going to be real with you. I love food. Dude, I love, I, 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 I'm finding more and more actually how much food, I, how much I enjoy food. I mean, literally, food is my happy place. Yeah. Right? Like, when, when you're going through some bad, say, find your happy place. Mine is in front of usually a large plate, just to be honest, of either, of either pho, Vietnamese soup, or Mexican food. Like, that's just like, I, you guys know, I dance when I eat. I love eating. And there's nothing wrong with finding enjoyment in food when we understand that it can't terminate upon that. It can't end there. I, 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 I'm trying to, to, to learn to, to eat food and enjoy it and thank Jesus for the good food that he's given me. Yeah. You understand? That's, that's, how you, that's how things become that stop from, from becoming idols. When, when you realize that there's simply a doorway for you to see the goodness of God in the midst of those things. Well, this can be true. We talk about this a lot. Of food. It can be true of sex. It can be true even alcohol or, or, or other enjoyments in our life. If they don't terminate upon themselves. And the problem is when, when they terminate upon themselves. When, when alcohol becomes the joy in itself. Your hunger, your desire for that joy grows so great that you become, hello, hello, somebody say this, an alcoholic. When, when, our, when, our, when our misunderstanding of the joy of relationships in our lives, when we become codependent upon people, they become the object of what brings us joy rather than saying, Lord, you are good and you have given me a relationship with other people for my enjoyment and for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. You're a good God. See, things, things aren't bad. It's when they terminate upon themselves that they become bad. He must be the object of our greatest, our, our, our deepest affection and our highest joy, period. Now, with that in mind and that in our hearts, let me make another statement, and that is this. God has told us in His Word, starting in Genesis, reiterating it again throughout His Word, but specifically the one that comes to mind right now is Ecclesiastes, that there are seasons. Do you understand this? Look outside. Think back six months, okay? Seasons, right? God has said that, that forever, as long as the earth exists, there will be seasons. He has set it up that way. Even, some of y'all argue with me, there's not seasons in Hawaii. You've never lived there. Yes, there is. They just call it the wet season and the dry season. It's hot all the time. I've lived there. It's just wetter at certain seasons and drier at certain seasons. What's funny, we live in Guam, which is like Hawaii on crack when it comes to being tropical. And, um, and there, I, I was shocked because it rains every day. In the wet season, it just rains like five times a day. And in the dry season, it only rains twice. There's seasons. God has ordained seasons. And, and, and he sets these things up. And here's what I need us to understand. Each season, each season must be, must be embraced, must be experienced, and must be enjoyed. Is this on? Every season of your life is designed to be embraced, to be experienced, and to be enjoyed. Because every season is dependent upon the previous season, and every next season is dependent upon this season. I'm speaking even practically right now. Do you understand that, that last summer, does anybody remember last summer as the snow clouded it from your memory? <laughs> last season, we had lots of, last summer, we had lots of fires. Do you know why we had lots of fires last 
summer. It's because God was judging Washington's... No, it's not. Okay, they're not here. Somebody sat down in my office. They don't go to church here, so I was making sure. And literally told them, do you believe that, that the fires on in, in Washington are God's judgment upon this state? I said, no, it's the reality that we did not have a good winter. Therefore, we did not have a good snowpack. Therefore, we did not have a lot of water. And therefore, we had fires. I thought I was completely unspiritual and stormed out of my office. We understand this in the practical that, that, that because we're having this kind of, of winter, I, I'm not, if, if you're a farmer, please don't bet your life on this, but, but, but you, can, you can somewhat guesstimate that because we're having such a good winter, I know good is relative, some of you hate snow, but because we're having such a full and complete winter, the chances are, catch this please, we're going to have a pretty good harvest this year. Do you understand how tied together seasons are? Now let me shift gears and move us into spiritual. The same thing is true spiritually. That, that one season sets up the next season. Can I talk to Sozo for a minute here? This season, I believe, is a season that we need to be sowing into because there's something that God wants us to reap. But how we embrace, how we experience, and hello, how we enjoy this season will affect not only the next season, but the next seasons after that as well. I know I'm talking to just sozo people here. If you're a guest with us, you're welcome. <laughs> I think there's a, a key here for somebody. This is not for us as a church. I'm just kind of moving here. Um, I think somebody here, maybe more than one person, is, is struggling because you're good with you're good with embracing it. Like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll embrace the season. And you're even good with like, okay, I'll, I'll experience that. I won't try to like like power of positive thinking my way out of this season. I'll, I'll embrace it. I'll experience it. But there is no way, preacher man, you don't know the season I'm in. There is no way on this planet I can enjoy this season. You keep saying embrace and experience. I'm good with that. You keep saying enjoy, though, and you are a moron if you think I can enjoy this, this season. Can I tell you I have been there? Can I tell you I love you? And can I tell you a secret? God hides joy in places no one will look for it. There is joy in every season because God will meet you in every season. And he will meet you in seasons, in one season, in a way he will never meet you again in another season. And that is the joy that is hidden, listen to me, for you in that season. And it must be enjoyed. There is joy in the season you're in. You say, I am broke as a joke. Yeah, so laugh. It's a joke. Laugh. <laughs> My wife and I have gone through seasons where we ate hot dog soup. Literally, we had done everything we could do with hot dogs. And we were like, let's try putting in soup. <laughs> Which pretty much just meant hot dog water. I mean, it was... <laughs> I get broke. I understand it. But can I tell you, there was joy in those seasons like I've never experienced. New parents are going like, I have not slept in three months. There's joy in that season, I promise you. Single people, he said, I'll, I'll have fun once I get married. And I know what you're thinking. <laughs> There's joy in your singleness that you need to enjoy in this season. I don't know who I'm talking to. But I know there's some people who know what I'm saying when I say that God hides joy in places no one would go looking for it. I would never have wished some of the seasons on my life 
that God had me walk through. But I can testify right now that there was joy there that I had never experienced before. Heights of joy I had never known. That if I would have tried to just like weasel my way around it or pretend, or, or come on, this is what we do. I wish I was in the previous season. We rose-colored glasses what it was like to be in junior high until Robert's thinking he wants to go back to junior high. I knew Robert right after junior high. He does not want to go back to being that kid. He's not in the room, is he? I can't, I can't tell you how many, how many married people I've talked to. That, when I was single, my life was so good. And the problem is some of these people I knew when they were single, I'm like, all you did was cry about not having a husband. Don't, don't rose color, but enjoy it. There's joy there. Are you with me? clue who I was talking to. None of that was in my notes. So, the Bible. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Uh, verse 7. We're actually going to spend the next two weeks in John 10. We're going to be looking at Jesus' uh, shepherdness and his doorness. I don't have time to get into his shepherdness at all today. Next week, we'll actually be tying these two things together. So, if you like this week, come back next week. It'll be even better. If you don't like this week, come back next week. It'll be even better. John chapter 10, verse 7 says... We don't do this a lot, but I'm feeling it this morning. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? Um, I, I'm going to say a lot of stuff, and some of it's going to be offensive. So we might as well stand for the good thing that we're about to hear. John chapter 10, verse 7. Interesting fact for those of you young people, the Bible is now available in printed form. I love you. John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Everybody say the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, all who came from underline, highlight, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Everybody say saved. saved. And we'll go in and out and find pastor the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. Let's pray to the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the ability to hear your word this morning. And God, we come before you with, with humility and boldness to hear you speak. God, I am desperate to hear you speak today. I do not know what to do if you don't speak to me. If in this moment you don't meet with us, if in this moment you do not come and, and encounter us, I, I fear the utter worthlessness of this morning. And yet, God, if you will, if you will come and meet with us, if you will come and speak to us, if you will come and encounter us, then nothing else is important. Then nothing else has value enough to even be compared to what you can do this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we give you place and we give you room and we give you space to speak to us this morning. This is not a religious exercise. This is not the repetition of, of church-going folks. No, this is a gathering of people who are desperate to hear from you. And this is a day we believe holds the potential to radically change not only this life, but all of eternity. So Jesus, come and speak to us. Come and give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. 
And God, give us feet to be obedient to you. Give us the ability, the grace to do what it is you call us to do. Give us the grace to put to death once and for all the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us live for you as we die to ourselves. All for your glory. All for your name. And all for your endeavor. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. But high five somebody just because it was on Top Gun and then sit down. John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus identifies, and I'm going to oversimplify this here for the sake of time. Jesus identifies primarily three players in this story. He's got, you've got the door, which he, he claims that role. You have the thief, and then you have the sheep. Guess, what, guess which one you guys need to be? Sheep. Um, we are sheep. I'm a sheep. You're a sheep. He's a sheep. She's a sheep. Everywhere is sheep, sheep. I'm really trying to make sure I pronounce well. Um, and that's not a compliment. I'm sorry to tell you. Um, sheep are very simple. I think that's the PC word today. Simple. Uh, in the Blair House, how many parents are in the room? You guys have kids. How do you realize how much your vocabulary changed when your children started to talk? Anybody else? Just me? All the rest of you were saints before you had kids. Um, most of your children were actively conceived as well. So, uh, but in the Black House they weren't, and in the Black House I wasn't. So, so we had to start looking at our language when when uh, when we when when our kids started to talk. And and one of the words that we realized we didn't want to say that I said a lot was was the, was the word stupid. And and I realized it's not cute to see a two year old call them stupid. Hello, parent. It's not cute. So we stopped using the word and we replaced it with the word silly. <laughs> I seriously, sometimes I feel like I've been Flanders in my house now. Like, and we, we say silly. So, so you can translate this if you need to. Sheep are simple and sheep are silly. All right. Okay. Sheep, sheep are not, it's, Jesus is not, huh, he is not building up your, you know, self-image when he says you're a sheep. His sheep, sheep. Sheep are really simple and they're, they're, they're really silly. And, and sheep, really, honestly, they, they, they're really needy. They have huge appetites. They have to eat a ton. I didn't realize until I started studying years ago sheep, how much sheep have to eat. They're, they're really, really needy. They have zero natural defenses. They're ultimately a giant Q-tip with legs. <laughs> and to add insult to insult to insult, they also are extremely distractible. I literally have read stories from shepherds that have lost sheep, like the sheep died because, and I quote, it ate its way off a cliff. <laughs> like it was just eating, 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 and they kind of like eating the McDonald's, and just right off the cliff. That's us in this story. Can we just make sure we're clear on that? We're not going to talk about us really for the rest of the morning. So I just want to make sure where we fall in this story. Thankfully, I don't believe any of you are the thief. So that's good at least, right? You didn't get cast in that role. And in this passage in John 10, Jesus calls himself both the door and the shepherd. Now, some of you who are 
uh, took a Bible as lit class from a longer hidden professor in a community college. Um, are like, this is Jesus, the problem with the Bible. Jesus mixes metaphors, mixes metaphors. No, actually, there's an amazing truth hidden in this that you get to learn about next week. So we need to understand, Jesus calls himself both the shepherd and the door. This week we're going to talk about his doorness. Everybody say doorness. Jesus' doorness. In, in Jesus' doorness, Jesus, Jesus is, is saying he will provide the two greatest needs in a sheep's life. Protection and plenty. He says, I, 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 as Jesus, he says, I provide both, both protection and plenty. As sheep, we all need protection. Okay, this is like common ground for all people in all places. We all need protection. We all have this potential that wolves and thieves and the environment will come and will destroy our existence. We all need protection. We, we all need it. And so because of that, because we need this, this, this protection, it is one of the number one places, I believe, that what Jesus calls the thieves that try to get into the sheep pen is the, one of the number one things they try to provide for us. And what Jesus makes abundantly clear in this passage is they are all thieves and robbers. Yeah, but I think there's some really good teaching in Buddhism. Thieves and robbers. But I think there's some really good ideas presented in the kind of New Age theology. Thieves and robbers. But Muhammad really have thieves and robbers. But Muhammad is thieves and robbers. There's, he's, he's, there's zero political correctness and there's zero wiggle room here. Jesus is I am the door. Everyone else is a thief and a robber. Why? There's this one place and it has the word Christian and science in it and that. Thieves and robbers. And this is not, we are simple. So he's making it very plain for us. It's Jesus and everything else is a thief and a robber. And then he even tells them, the thieves come only to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. That's their whole job. They do not want good for you. If you need a title for today's message, always, only, Jesus. That's it. Not plus, with, combined with. No, always, only, Jesus. It is He is utterly and completely exclusive. He's the only, he's the, I am the door. Anybody else, thief and robber. You need not go anywhere else for protection or plenty. Except Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Yes. Everybody else is a thief. Everybody else is a robber. Only place to find the good things is Jesus. That's it. Any any teacher, any preacher, any church with a steeple and a cross, if it's not pointing to Jesus, it runs the risk, at least, of being a thief and a robber. Are you with me this morning? We need. We, we, if we miss this, we miss the point because he says, "I am." Period. I am this. This is. This is who I am. I think this is so important because of this. We talked about the last two weeks that Jesus, as the bread, is our sustenance, is the as our ability to do, and then and that, that as the light, He guides us in what we do, and and he, he He empowers us and strengthens us, sustains us, and then He guides us. And and the problem is this: you can buy into those two things and still die and go to hell. 
Well, I like what Jesus says. I really, really makes me feel good. And then I try to do my best to live like Jesus says we shouldn't be attitudes. Cool story, bro. Unless you go through Jesus, he said, I'm the only way to life. Anything else? What is it? Thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Let me flip the coin here for a second. Not only is everything else thieves and robbers, but as the door, Jesus is your way into that life. You as a sheep did nothing to create, qualify, earn the door. You don't get to do that. Acts chapter 4. Uh, Acts chapter 4. I love this. Acts chapter 4 verse. We'll just jump to verse 8. I think I have a screen. Okay, there we go. Um, Acts 4, 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which I could preach on that for a year. Peter, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, these are, these are the religious leaders of his day. I have to give you a little bit of backstory real fast. So, so Peter and John are going to the temple. They're going to church, is how we would put it. And they see a man who's been crippled since he was born. And Peter looks down at him and in the name of Jesus heals him. I'm skipping over a lot of details that all of the Bible people are like, ah! But it's okay. This is the point. This is the point. And, and, and the religious people get really, really, really angry because he does it in the name of Jesus. So they, they grab him, and, and, and this is Peter's response. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, do you hear the, like, sarcasm? By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, wink, wink, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Next verse. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation Hear this, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Exclusive. Only Jesus. And did you notice, the crippled man got his healing and got his salvation because he was good enough. No. In the same way that Jesus is the only one and nobody else is, you are saved by him and him alone. Are we with me on this? Jesus, as the door, says that he gives us protection. You're in the fold. You're protected from both the outside and from you, Jesus says. You're protected from thieves and wolves. You're protected from the environment which will distract you because we are easily distracted by worthless things. Anything shiny gets us distracted. Like, ooh, pretty. We're gone. <laughs> I, I love the, the, the hymn writer. You know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I favored him. Come now, found. Emphasis uh, emphasizes for us our, our proneness to leave God. What Jesus is promising here is this, that as 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 the door, he, he lets us into the fold and he protects us from what's outside, from, from what's going to corrupt us and kill us. And, and ultimately, he says we are saved by going through the door. Anybody want to take a guess 
as to what Greek word <laughs> saved is. So what Jesus is saying here is this, you, you come through me, you, you enter through me, you get sozo. There's no sozo anywhere else. Now there's other sozos, other places, churches, but there's not salvation anywhere else. We together on that? Still want to get an email. Like, oh, I found a sozo church in Puyallup. I know. Come to me. Sozo means to heal, save, to redeem. Now, I need to make sure that we understand something because Jesus is about to make a very bold and a very um, strong statement when he says that if, if we come to him, we will be saved. And then he came that we might have an abundant life. And, and I need to make sure as your pastor that you understand something. If you try to interpret that solely on this side of eternity, you are missing the point. Now, am I saying that there is no benefit in this temporal life for following Jesus? Absolutely not. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I believe the best life any human can live is a life of full and total abandoned surrender to Jesus. But the abundant life that Jesus promises us transcends and exceeds simply a good life this side of eternity. And promises us a life that is full and complete beyond only just this life. Regardless, I would say, of how your life goes on this side of eternity, we win on the other side. And what the world looks at and calls a non-abundant life, Scripture oftentimes looks at and says, that's an abundant life. Bible tells us that there, are, there were believers that God would have allowed to escape hardship and persecution and yes, even martyrdom. But those people chose, the Bible says, a better way and went through that. Because they saw on a level that we typically, I'm just being honest, I will lump myself 100% into this as American Christians struggle to really understand and embrace. That eternity trumps temporal reality. Every time, all the time. So Jesus here promises us salvation. He says that, that you'll come in and you'll, you'll find you'll be saved. And then he says you'll go in and out and find pastor. I found interesting this word. Pastor means growth and increase. Jesus is our growth. Come on. Jesus is our increase. He doesn't just keep you safe in this, in this kind of... This, 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 Hang you in and, and just keep you away from anything bad. But I, I remember these times in my Christian life where I thought, look, the world is so bad out there. Let's just do this. Let's just get all the Christians together and we'll holy huddle up together. We'll sing our favorite hymns around a candle and just pray that the world doesn't get us. As a youth pastor, I saw this consistently and constantly from Christians in public schools. It was great. All the Christians' kids got together like, we're just going to pray together. We're not going to have any friends that don't love Jesus. And we're just going to pull away and pray against the darkness. Turn on a light, okay? Just if you're really worried about the darkness, turn on a light. We are not called, and Jesus here is not saying that somehow by being saved, he's going to just pull you in and, 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 and take away all your liberty and take away all your freedom. And you're just going to kind of huddle away in some kind of Christian ghetto that we're just going to kind of, you know, inbreed ourselves with and just kind of be over here until Jesus finally decides to flip that rapture switch and vacuum suck us all out of the planet. Not what he says at all. 
In fact, what he says is, it, it, by being a part of his fold, you, you, you'll be saved, and you'll go in and out and find pasture. And in the midst of this life, in the midst of all the realities and the difficulties and the hardships and the turmoil and the struggle and the real wolves and the, the real thieves, that in the midst of all that, he will lead you to places to find pasture in the hardest places, as I said earlier. He will show you where to find joy. That's the kind of door that we have as our God. Not a God who says, I'll keep you safe as long as I keep you separate. But he says, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Jesus is not a limiter. But rather a God who leads us to abundance. I don't have this on a slide. This is my absolute favorite Psalms. This is Psalm verse 18. Just write it down. You can go there later. Psalm 18, 16 through 19. This is David speaking. Crying out to God, speaking of God, said, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord, come on, was my support. And he cloistered me off in a tiny little place, vacuum sealed me in a nice little room. No, verse 19. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Catch this, please. Because he delighted in me. Jesus delights in you. Broad place here, literally. I'm going to sound like a nerd. It means broad. You look at it in the Hebrew, and it's like it means really, really big, really, really open, pretty much means broad, <laughs> wide, expansive. Delight literally means to take pleasure in, but in a deeper sense, it, it means that God knelt down and brought himself near. It's that kind of delight. It's not a delight that's, that's okay with being distant from. Your entry into the door is because the door loves you. So today, in the midst of all of this, what do we do with Jesus' doorness? This is going to shock some people. What do you do with a door? There you go. See, you're smarter than you thought you were. Whole purpose of Jesus saying he's a door for those of us who are sheep is to tell us to walk through. Is that too simple for us? We, we need it more complicated than that. Jesus said, I'm a door. Just walk through the door. Stop trying to think that you have to somehow make your way and climb your way over a wall or earn your, earn your key by somehow. Look, Jesus said, look, if you come to me, I'll lead you into plenty. Don't think you've got to pay your way. Like I some, This is not a multi-level marketing scheme where Jesus needs you to pay your dues so he can pay back somebody else's dues. He's the door. He's the way through. So for those of you who are new to this, how do you, how do you walk through the door? Repent and believe. 
That's how you walk through the door. I love, I love, what, I love what David says in, in, in Psalms. Where he says, they were too mighty for me. Look, if you think, if you like your place that you are, I love you, this is not a message for you. I got nothing else for you. If you're happy and content in the place where you are, then really Jesus has nothing to offer you because he says, look, I'm the door. He's a door. If you're happy where you are and you want to walk through a door, that's Jesus. I just kind of wanted like a side dish to make me not feel as guilty about how messy my house is. That's Jesus is not interested in cleaning up your house. He's interested in you walking through a door and being in his house. And it's already clean. Which isn't to say we don't need people to sign up for the cleaning group. That's a separate issue. <laughs> Jesus is the door. So, so if you're at the place where you're saying, I need protection and I, I desire plenty. Again, Understanding that that plenty is not some some bait on a hook, but a promise of an eternity far beyond anything you could experience, and a life of finding joy in places you would never have gone to go looking for it otherwise. Repentance is simply this: confession, contrition, and change. It's admitting, hello, once and for all, that you're wrong. You're wrong, and he's right about what? About everything. It's about admitting once and for all that all the other doors you've tried to build, all the other doors you've tried to go through are thieves and robbers. And that while in reality you are a sheep, there have been moments, if you're going to be honest with yourself, that you have been a thief and a robber, where you have expounded and professed and maybe even tried to convince other people of other doors. And it's abandoning that and saying, I'm I'm wrong, Jesus, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. It's confession. It's, it's confessing that Jesus is God. That he's the door. There, there are no other doors. He's the door. Next part of repentance is contrition, which is just a $6 word for being brokenhearted. Salvation does not come by mental ascension. Let me say that again. Salvation does not come by mental ascension. It is not figuring out and mentally agreeing with something and then you're saved. It is, it is a, it's salvation. One of the reasons we named this church Sozo is because it is a salvation that goes beyond one dimensional and, and hits every layer of all of who you are. So you better believe that God is going to get a hold not only of your, your mental faculties, but he's going to get a hold of your emotions. And he's going to get a hold of your spirit. He's going to get a hold of your soul. And yes, amen, come on, I need some help on this. He's going to get a hold of your body. Amen. And I mean that both in the fact that there is genuine and real healing and deliverance from things. You're, you're, you're staring at somebody who was ridiculously addicted to drugs that I, I had no business being addicted to. And I'm not exaggerating. And I have people that will testify to this. I was instantaneously delivered from those things. And I've lived a sinless life ever since. <laughs> oh, guys. No, I'm... There's, there's transformation that happens in your body. There's healing that happens. But can I also tell you this? You'll start using your body for things you never used it for before. You'll stop using it for things that you use it for right now. And some of y'all know what I mean, and you don't want me to have to go past PG-13 on that. Part of, part of repentance is being brokenhearted. It's, it's, it's seeing the reality of who you have been and seeing the reality of how you have dishonored and disobeyed a God who only ever delighted in you. 
confession, contrition, and then the one we don't like, change. It's asking God for not only the grace to believe, not only the grace to receive, but the grace to walk out a new life of obedience to Him. And here's the good news. It's not by your strength, it's not by your power, but it's by His Spirit, it's by His grace that you do all of it anyway. So even, here's the bad news, even when you do start walking in obedience, He gets all the glory for it anyways. So you don't even get to brag about how much better of a person you are now. Confession, nutrition, and change. Repent and believe.